Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Amen. I pray this well with your soul today. Um, We're going to open up our Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. And we're in the uh, third week of a one-week sermon. Uh, So if you would, Joshua chapter 3. We're talking about following God in unfamiliar paths. Joshua chapter 3. A handful of weeks ago, we started a, a sermon series out of the book of Joshua. And with this theme in mind of Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. I'd love for us to put it on the screen. And, and let's just remind ourselves of this truth in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Would you read it along with me? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that good news? And we've just been encouraging ourselves through that verse. I would encourage you, if you don't have that verse memorized, to commit that to memory, that uh, that verse would get down way deep inside our souls, and that verse in these unfamiliar paths that we're walking would be an encouragement to us, because we don't know what tomorrow looks like, do we? But we're so thankful that by God's grace, we're given verses like this. 365 times in the Bible, it tells us that we shouldn't fear. Maybe God was on to something, and maybe he knew that we needed it a lot. And maybe he wrote that just for the years 2020 and 2021 and 2022. Who knows why he wrote that? But we need it so much today. So we're going to be diving into this passage today. And what I want to do is to kind of give us a where we've been real fast and and then catch us up as quickly as possible. But in Joshua uh, chapter 1, what we re- were reminded of is that Moses, the servant of God, died. Uh, God raised up Joshua as Moses's successor, and Joshua, in that place, has a challenge, a charge to go and take the land, and that charge is based on some promises of God. God promises that the land that they're to go in and take, He's already given them. He's promised it to them, and, and can't you just Can't you just feel the the comfort of knowing that what God has promised to you and to me is as certain as already done? It's past tense for God. He gave it to them and now they're just taking it. And all God's promises for the believer find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ and they are as good as done for you and me. They're based on that promise that I'm giving you the land and He promises I'll be with you wherever you go. What a good promise. The difference between Christianity and many other religions is that not only now do we try to live lives pleasing to the Lord, but that God is with us everywhere we go. God will not leave us and He will not forsake us. He will not abandon us. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus Christ faced the eternal, ultimate 
cosmic abandonment so you and I could be brought into the family forever. Isn't that good news? And then we went to chapter 2 and we talked about uncommon characters and we looked at the story of Rahab. Rahab a prostitute. Rahab the prostitute became uh, one of God's chosen people. Rahab received the messengers into her house, the message into her heart. She sought God for mercy and she trusted in God's promise. And there in Rahab's heart, transformation happened. And in chapter 6, Rahab was saved alive because she hid herself and all whom she loved under the scarlet cord of God's redemption. And she was saved alive. And not only did Rahab get saved and become a part of Israel, even though she was not Israel, an Israelite. She became the great-grandmother to King David. She became the many, many time great-grandmother to Jesus our Messiah. And it's encouraging that God can use broken people in His plan. He uses uncommon characters for His glory. Chapter 3, we talked about how do we follow God in unfamiliar paths. And we looked a little bit that first week, at, um, we reminded ourselves of Lewis and Clark. How they made this great journey to Limhi Pass in the western portion of the United States. And they made it all the way up to the headwaters of the Missouri River by boat, canoe. And then they found at Limhi Pass something they were not expecting to find. They thought that from Limhi Pass they'd look over and they would see downward a gentle slope with the Columbia River leading all the way to the Pacific Ocean. They'd portage their boats just a short distance, put them back in, and then they would be smooth sailing from here on out. And some of us, we came into the Christian faith thinking that as soon as I trust Jesus, there's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. And we learned after about 13 minutes of following Jesus that it was not like that. That following Jesus is sometimes difficult and it takes us to unfamiliar paths. And what do we do when we're trying to follow God in unfamiliar paths? And we talked about that for a little while. We talked about the Ark of the Covenant being the portable throne of the invisible God. And how it was a representation of His presence. We know that God is present with us everywhere. But this was a representation of His presence. It was a representation of His Word. And so last week we looked at following the Spirit of God. And sometimes even grieving the Spirit of God. And how do we, once we have grieved the Spirit, how do we reconcile ourselves through Jesus back to God? How, what do we do there so that we're not grieving the Spirit, but we're being filled with the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit? How do we do that? And today I want to look at two points. I want, how do we follow God in unfamiliar places? The first thing I want to look at today is we follow the Word of God. And the second thing that we must do before we follow the Lord is to consecrate ourselves. To consecrate ourselves. So, I'm going to read through this passage. I think we have all the verses up on the screen. I'm going to read through the passage. I want to talk about a couple things. And then I want to point to those two main topics for the day. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet, there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. 
Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to all the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Is there anybody in this place that would love to see a day where the Lord God would do wonders among us as He has done throughout Scripture? Oh man, I pray that one day we get to be witnesses of His glory. Witnesses of miracles. Witnesses maybe of Pentecost. Witnesses of the multitudes coming to Jesus. Witnesses of revival in our hearts and revival in our church. Revival in our community. Maybe one day we would literally see people healed of diseases. Marriages restored. Children who've wandered being restored to their family and to their God. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before. Do you see there was a command and there was an obedience? Verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I just want to stop and take a, a brief commentary. This is just kind of a reminder to me that leadership is hard. Leadership is hard. And, and Joshua didn't just need to be exalted and given miraculous power, but he needed to be reminded also that the Lord would be with him. Verse 8 says, As for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, I just want to remind you that Jordan is at flood stage. Flood stage. And there are some commentators that, that say that the Jordan at this time of year is not just this little brook that you could almost hop from rock to rock across like we do maybe up in the mountains, if you've ever been to those beautiful streams up there. This, at flood stage, this Jordan could even be upwards of a mile across, some commentators would say. And he said, you come to the water, you get in the water, and you stand in the water, and you be still in the water. Verse 9 says, And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the Lord, or that the living God is among you, that He will be with you. Excuse me, that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and the Mosquitoites. It's in there. Verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Can I just encourage you? God will never ask you to walk an unfamiliar path that he has not gone down before you. Verse 12, Now therefore, the twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe of man, take, take twelve men. Verse 13, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Can you just imagine this? This happened. This ain't a fairy tale. This is an incredible story of God's power and provision in their lives. God, in unfamiliar paths, God makes a way when there is no way. That's what He does. There's a song out called Waymaker. He is Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper. 
light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. So the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the waters. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Now I just want to remind you that in unfamiliar paths, we have the ability for our feet, like the feet of the priest, to stand firm on dry ground in unfamiliar places. And that is what I want for you and for me and for our church. Do you know I've never done ministry in the middle of a pandemic? I've never done this. And if you ask me, what is the solution? What's the next step? Can I just confess? I don't exactly know. But I know that in the middle of the unknown, in the middle of what is unfamiliar, when I don't know the answer, we serve a God who does. We serve a God who goes before us. And we serve a God who paves the way through the waters. We serve a God who knows the way that we shall go and can cause us to stand firm in the middle of raging waters. Now, how do we do this? How do we follow the Lord? There are two ways in this passage I think that we follow the Lord. Number one we mentioned is the ark represented the presence of God among the people. It was as the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night led the people of Israel through the wilderness. Now we see not the pillars, but the ark. The ark had the commandments or the covenant of God inside it. It had the manna, the jar of manna inside, and the, the Aaron's staff that sprouted was inside the Ark of the Covenant. It symbolized the presence of God and the Word of God. And if we are going to be a people who follow God in unfamiliar places, there are two things that we must keep our eyes on. We must fix our eyes on the Holy Spirit that we are walking with Him in connection to Him, sensitive to Him, and that we keep our eyes on the Word of God. The Word of God. So the Spirit and the Word. I, I just want to come back to verse 4 and 5 and 6. It says in verse 4, Yet there shall be a distance between you and it. The it is the ark. About 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Now I just want you to imagine that there is an ark being born 2,000 cubits in front of you. 2,000 cubits, about 3,000 feet. So this is a, a pretty long distance in front of you. Don't get too close to it. Don't be too far from it. But follow it. Follow it closely as closely as you can. Keep that distance. Why? So that you can watch it. Your eyes will follow it. And you can walk after it. And I want to remind you of a passage in 2 Peter that when I read this and just had this idea of we need to follow God's Word, there is this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1 that I love. It's, I think it's up on the screen. It says, For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, that's Jesus, 
Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. Now this is Peter. Peter is recalling the time when in uh, all the Gospels would uh, bring you to the transfiguration that happened on the mountain. And Jesus was brought up the mountain, was transfigured before them. Peter, you know, Mr. Foot in Mouth, right, um, opens his mouth and says, It's good that we're here. We're going to build a booth for you. And then Elijah and Moses show up on the scene. And we're going to build a booth for Elijah and a booth for Moses. And, and it's good that we're here. And this very voice came out of heaven and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. This voice, this booming voice as we looked at in Revelation the other night, like the sound of roaring waters. This voice, like a trumpet, sounded. And they fell on their faces and closed their eyes in fear. And when they opened their eyes, the voice was gone. They saw no one but Jesus alone. And so, this is my beloved son, listen to him. It wasn't Elijah, it wasn't Moses that they should keep their eyes on. It was Jesus who is the incarnate word of God. Focus on him, follow him, listen to him. And he said, we were up there. Can you imagine? We were up there. We saw it with our eyes. We heard it with our ears. And this is what he says. This is what he says. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Let that sink in. Peter heard the word of God on the mountain. He heard the very voice of God on the mountain. And he says, and we have the word of God, the, the prophetic scripture more fully confirmed. How many of you ever said, God, I just want to hear your voice. I just want to hear you today. Let me tell you, God speaks loud and clear. Now, I'm not saying that God never gives his audible voice, but the number one way that God is going to speak to you and to me is through this book right here, folks. That's the way he's going to speak to you and to me. Now, what the Holy Spirit does in me when I hear that voice, that still small voice in my ear, he's not normally giving me a new word, but he's re-giving to me what he already gave to me in the word. So the Spirit of God in me, as I'm walking with Him, will bring to remembrance all that was said. And in those moments where I need a word from God, God reminds me of the prophetic word more fully confirmed. God, I want to hear you. Open your Bible, folks. This is what he continues to say. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. How many of you have ever, you've ever been outside and then you saw from a far distance away, maybe you were in the desert, maybe you were in the mountains and you saw this light from a distance? Do you know that a light in a dark place is captivating? How do I know that? Because millions of bugs have died at the bright light. They've been captivated by the light. The, their buddies are going, don't go toward the light. They can't help it. 
It's captivating. And for you and for me, I, I can sit around a campfire in the dark all night long. It's the light resonating. It's captivating to me. And he, what he says is the Word of God is like a lamp shining in a dark place. It is captivating to the eyes. And he says, and we would do well to pay attention to it. I hope that some of you will go to Israel with us. And when you go to Israel with us, you will see what the city on a hill was. You'll be on the Mount of Beatitudes and you'll look, you'll be facing down the, the um, Sea of Galilee, the, the valley that the sea sits in or the lake sits in. And, and uh, up to your right, maybe at about four o'clock back here, is this city named Safat. And it's a town on a hill. And it was, it was seen from all over the lake. And so that's how a lot of times people on the lake would gain their bearings because they could look and find the city on the hill. And Jesus says, we've got the, more, or the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which we do well to pay attention. I love fishing. I love fishing. Some of y'all know that about me. Uh, if you love fishing too, let's go fishing. All right, there we go. Um, I love fishing, and, and I'm one of these guys that when we go to the beach every morning, I'm up at, at the crack of dawn. Vacation's not vacation to me uh, if I'm not going fishing really early in the morning if we're at the beach. And this, this past time in August, we went down to Merle's Inlet, and, um, and I took my boat, put it in Merle's Inlet, and I drove out into the ocean, and I was going 13 miles off the, the shore to a reef called the Bear. And I had never been out 13 miles into the Atlantic there before, and it's dark. And I have this thing called a GPS on my boat. And I don't know how they did it before those things. But the GPS gave me a dot where I was going and a line that I should be following. I had no other bearings. It's dark. I'm in the middle of the ocean and all I have is the GPS dot and the line on my screen. Now listen to me. I found myself getting off course really quickly. Do you want to know why? Because I was zoomed too far out on my GPS screen that I could not clearly see the way that I should go. The path was there, but I was following it from a, a, a zoomed out position. I couldn't follow it so closely. So guess what I did? I zoomed in on that GPS line and then from that point on, I was able to follow the line 13 miles out and caught some fish that day. I made it to my place. I made it all the way back. By God's grace, I made it back. But let me tell you, some of us are so zoomed out on the Word of God that we're really having, a trouble, or we're having trouble following the Lord. Well, I read the Bible occasionally. Well, I go to church, and you know, at church, I can't understand the Bible when I read it by myself, so I don't really read it, and so I, I get my Bible reading when I go to church. Let me tell you, you cannot follow Jesus if I'm your only um, Bible reading plan. You can't. It's impossible, impossible to follow. Well, pastor, you have an education, 
You are trained how to read the Bible. You are trained what the Bible says. You've got the same Holy Spirit that I do, and He's a far better teacher than any seminary president I've ever seen. You don't need another teacher. You've got the Holy Spirit. Are you connected to Him? Because if you are, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. He wrote it. This passage continues on and says, No scripture has ever been written apart from the Spirit of God. He wrote the Bible. And for us to understand it and read it, we've got to be connected to the Spirit. Let me, I just want to push on this. Guys, we sometimes, as individuals and as churches, struggle following the Lord so much simply because we're so zoomed out on the the Word of God. We're not in the Word, and the Word's not in us. Of course we can't follow the directions. Why? Because we're not reading them. Our people don't know them. J.C. Ryle says it this way, The Bible is the true lantern for a dark and cloudy time. Let us beware of traveling without its light. See, we've got to be people of the book. We've got to be people of the book. Then at one point in time, Southern Baptists were people of the book. But we got to get back to being people of the book. That's why I preach the way that I preach. That's why I preach through the book. That's why I don't give you pithy sermons about how to be seven ways to a better you or a prayer life or whatever. No, we're going to open the Bible and see what it says. Because we need the book. And you and I need God's Word inside of us. We need to get in the Word so the Word gets in us. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that, that there are a lot of times in life where you've got to make a split moment decision? And, and in, in those moments where you've got to make a big decision, you don't often have time to say, let me stop you and I want to go home and I want to pray over that and I want to open the Bible and I want to see what the Bible says about the situation I'm going through. No, you've got to make a split second decision. And so I just need you to know that the, the Word of God has to be on our lips, it's got to be in our hearts, it's got to be readily available to us, and if the Word is not in us in that critical moment, the world is going to come out of us in that critical moment. We've got to get the Word inside of us. I don't mean to push, but I'm pushing. Are you reading the Bible every day? You better. If you want to follow the Lord and live a life pleasing to Him, are you reading His Word? Well, I just don't have a plan. We do. There's one right out there on the Welcome Center. We'd love to get one in your hands. Read it. If you follow that reading plan, you'll read the Bible um, one time in two years. You'll read the New Testament twice, the Psalms twice, and the Old Testament once in two years. And you'll finish and you'll say, wow, I never thought I could do that. But you can just because you're on a plan. Get in the Word. We've got to systematically read through God's Word. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the Word of God incarnate. He is the Word of God in the flesh. He's all the commandments of God fulfilled perfectly in life. We need to fix our eyes on the Word in this world. Every time a new member joins the church, I, I just remind them that here at Seneca Baptist, you're not following me, you're following Jesus. Now here's why, because I don't know if, if you're reading the year-long plan with us, the year-long plan this morning was in Daniel chapter 
2, I think. Daniel chapter 2. And it talks about how Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and there was a, a, a statue with a golden head and a silver body and a bronze torso and legs and, and iron or a bronze torso, iron legs, and then iron and clay feet. If you want to know what I am in that statue, I'm the clay feet. I'm the clay feet. Let me tell you something. I will let you down, I will crack, and I will break, but Jesus will never fail you. So don't fix your eyes on a leader. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the true leader. He will never fail you. And don't be like Peter. Listen, in, in the Bible here, in Joshua, he says 2,000 cubits. Follow it, 2,000 cubits. Don't get ahead of it. Don't get behind it. 2,000 cubits. Don't be like Peter. Do you remember when Peter denied Jesus in the Bible? It gives us one phrase that I think is so powerful. It says, and Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Let me tell you, it didn't go so well for Peter that night. If, if Peter was with Jesus, Jesus or Peter might have faced the same death as Jesus did. But I tell you one thing, if Peter was right there with Jesus, he would never have denied him. Are you with me? He never would have denied him. Don't be like that. So if we're going to follow the Lord through the Spirit and through the Word, we have to consecrate ourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Uh, how many of you have heard of the terminology prepping? Uh, doomsday preppers, anybody have, a, have ever heard that? Don't raise your hand if you are a doomsday prepper. Um, it's okay. No judgment here. Just tell me when to come over and what the code is to your door, all right? Uh, prepping, all right? So prepping. I just want you to understand this, this idea of consecrating yourself is preparation. It's preparation to meet with the Lord and to be uh, a part of what He's going to do. To meet with the Lord. To be used of the Lord. So what does it mean to consecrate yourselves? Because if we're Rahab in chapter 2... Uh, or somebody like Rahab, I've never consecrated myself a day in my life. I don't know what preparation or I need to do. What is consecrate yourself? Now, I think consecrate really means just a couple of things. Number one, it means to be cleansed from sin. Cleanse yourself. Uh, literally, they would take baths and wash clothes. And that was an outward sign of what they were trying to do in their hearts. Their, their preparations outwardly of of cleaning their clothes and cleaning their body was a symbol of what they were wanting God to do in their hearts. We want you to, as we're washing our clothes, God, we need you to, like David says in Psalm 51, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. They were doing outwardly what they were hoping that God would do inwardly as they were preparing their hearts and their minds to meet with God. So how do I do that if I'm a Christian? If I'm a Christian and I'm, he's saying to us, consecrate yourselves, how do I do that? The first thing you need to do is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As believers and as unbelievers, none of us are without sin. The difference between a believer and a non-believer is not the presence of sin in their lives. It's the process by which their sin is dealt with the believer's sin has been dealt with through an old rugged cross that stood on calvary some two thousand years ago and the savior who died upon it that savior dealt with our sin 
He bore the curse of our sin on His head. He died the death that we rightfully deserved. He bore the punishment so that we could get the reward that He rightfully deserved. He took our unrighteousness. He gave us His righteousness. He took our sin and shame. He gave us holiness. This is how our sins are dealt with as a Christian. It's not that I deal with my sins and I now have to pay the penalty of my sins or do penance. But Christ has paid the debt that I owe. It was above my head and my account had nothing left. I was spiritually bankrupt until Christ intervened. He paid my debt. But as an unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever in the room, if you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, the weight of your sin is still upon you, and you got to figure out a way to purge the sin from your life. And let me tell you, as one who's tried it, it's impossible. Because when I get this sin purged, I walk into another one. And though I might purge the outer sin, I can't purge the inner sin. Trust in Jesus. It meant being cleansed from sin. Consecrate yourselves. It meant being cleansed from sin. It meant, number two, abstaining from sexual relations. Anything that might make you unclean. Be above reproach. Consecrate yourselves. Alright, so number one, it means being cleansed from sin. Number two, abstain from sexual relations. It also meant to be set apart from the world. Set apart from the world. Have you ever noticed how God's people were distinct? They were distinct in the Old Testament. What I mean by that is God's people were given a command early on. And it went something like this. Um, a verse, or the fourth commandment. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Do you know how distinct that made them wherever they went? It made them different from everybody that they lived with. They worshipped different, they lived different, they ate different, uh, they, they worked different. Everything that they did was distinct. They were set apart from the world. You know, I was just thinking about this. How is it that God's church today can be set apart from the world? I, I think it, it comes to this one idea. If we are people of the Word and we're living out the Word that we're reading within... If we're living out the Word of God, I promise you, you will be distinct from the people around you. Don't gossip. Everybody else is. He didn't really mean that, Ryan. He knew our temptation to gossip, how easy it was to gossip and to slander other people. Everybody else is doing it. I don't like that president anyways. So if I just do, I mean, he didn't really mean that. There's grace for that, Ryan. No, believer, set yourselves apart. Because Christ has died for you. Live holy. Here's another way to set yourselves apart. Be generous. It doesn't make a lick of sense when, when Christ's people give money to things, uh, missions, organizations. It doesn't make any sense to the world when we're generous with money and time and talents and, and all these things. It doesn't make any sense. I just want you to imagine on day six of, of uh, when the, the Israelites were in the wilderness. And God said, I'll give you manna every morning and quail in the evening 
and go out in the morning and, and get only what you need for the day. And on the sixth day, uh, I want you to go out and get two times as much as you need for the day because on the sixth day, you're going to get for, for, for two days. I want you to imagine the stress on day six. We talked about this in Sunday school a little bit. Imagine the stress that you would feel on day six as you went and you gathered twice as much because what happened? If you gathered too little, you had nothing or you had no, no lack. And if you gathered too much, what happened to what you gathered? It rotted. It spoiled. It bred worms. Now let me ask you this question. Imagine what you're thinking on day six, gathering manna in the wilderness. You gather two times as much every other day you've seen this manna rot. And on day six, you're asking yourself the question, is this going to make it? I mean, is it actually going to last two days? Is God going to be faithful to His promise? They were distinct. They were set apart. Why? Because they obeyed His commandments. They trusted in His Word. Do you know how distinct we would be if we lived out what we said we actually believed? Man, we'd be a distinct people. Set yourself apart from the world. It means to consecrate ourselves also means to be set apart for His purpose. Separated, set apart from the world, and set apart for purpose. Do you know you've been given a divine purpose in God? God has a plan for you. He's got a plan for you and for me to take the land. We've got to, every day when I wake up, I've got to dedicate myself to the Lord. I've got to, to consecrate myself to the Lord. Use me however you see fit because I know there's a higher purpose than I understand today. Use me for your purpose. Now, understand, in the, in the Bible, this passage, this is an individual thing, but this is a corporate thing. I think God is waiting for a church to be consecrated and holy to the Lord. That's the kind of church that God wants to use. A church that's consecrated. They're cleansed from sin. They're trusting in the blood. They're abstaining from things that would keep them from being above reproach. They're set apart from the world. And they're set apart for a purpose. I want, to, I want to be a church, and God wants us to be a people that are set apart for a purpose. As I close today, I want to remind you of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Do you know how many mercies God has shown you and me? His mercies are new every morning. The book of Romans takes 11 chapters to talk about the mercies of God. And then it says, therefore, in chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, by all of the mercies of God revealed to you in Romans chapter 1 to 11, therefore, I urge you, I appeal to you, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is the idea of consecrate yourself. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's consecrated. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to know a church that's going to follow the Lord? A people that's going to follow the Lord? It's a people consecrated who've got their eyes fixed on the Word and they've got their, their hearts 
set on following the Holy Spirit. And if we want to be God's people who follow Him on the unfamiliar paths of of life and of church ministry this day, we must be a consecrated people committed to follow the Lord in all of His ways. Today, today I, I just want to encourage you that if you have not given yourself to the Lord, if you have not trusted in the goodness, the saving uh, gospel of Jesus Christ, don't walk out of this place under the weight of your sin, but come and bring your sin to the foot of the cross and say, my sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Come trust in Him. And if you have, maybe it's time to consecrate yourselves today. Would you stand with me? Maybe right there in your spot, or maybe you want to come and and sit on the front row or kneel here at this altar covered with knitted caps, which we'll talk about in a moment. You want to come and offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord, holy and acceptable. You want to come consecrate yourself today and ask Him to purge you of your sin and set you apart for a purpose. Would you come and join me if you'd like me to pray for you or to minister to you in some way? I'd be honored. But let's meet with the Lord and let's be together.